Okay, here we are. Parsha's Mishpatim. Yay. Parsha's Mishpatim. Did anybody have a chance to look at the Parsha? Yeah. yeah. I had some yeses and some absolutely nots. Okay, so I'm going to give you, here's a, a heads up for the Parsha. The first six aliyahs, five and a half, the first five and a half aliyahs are only mitzvahs. There are 53 mitzvahs that are given in this Parsha. 20 positive, yeah. Uh, 20, I think 20 positives and 33 negatives. Okay, so now how do we do a roundup of such a situation? Parsha Mishpatim is starting from chapter 21. Okay, so what I would like to do is we're going to take a few minutes. Everybody, I'm not, my daughter's like, you should give everybody an aliyah token. I'm like, I'm not giving anybody an aliyah token. Someplace in the first five aliyahs, which is going to go from chapter 21, um, verse 1 till, um, Till the end, till chapter twenty three, verse twelve. I want you to open up in those in those uh, two and a half chapters. Find the mitzvah. Okay, we're gonna take three minutes. Just find the mitzvah from chapter twenty one, verse one, till chapter twenty three, verse nineteen. Any place in there? There's just a couple afterwards also, but let's stick in those first five aliyahs. Find the mitzvah. If you all stay in the first two pages of the Parsha, we're not going to get a lot of um, variety going on over here. There are 53 mitzvahs. Find something that you thought was interesting, weird, unusual, so special, whatever, okay? I'm going to be quiet for two minutes. <clears throat> find, your, find your thing that we're going to go around and everybody, remember, it might be a good idea to have like a backup one in your head in case somebody gives over your mitzvah, but we're going to go for one mitzvah per person and then we're going to get started on our Parsha. If we ever let's get our shot so that we actually can get a class going over here. <laughs> got one? When you got one, pick up your head so I know that you're ready. Okay. You might want to have a backup in case somebody before you uses yours. I like where he's like eyes oh, going, whoa. I've never heard of this. Okay, then that's what you want to bring us. Wait, can we go this way? <laughs> <laughs> we can start wherever you want. We can start wherever you want. Okay, how we doing? Another minute? 30 seconds? Sydney, you got one? Yeah. Okay. Grab Chomish. How do you got one? Got one? Okay, Hani, got one? Um, I have it in my head memorized. I'm just trying to find it. That's so okay, because we want chapter and verse so we can all follow along. Yeah. Gabriel, got one? Okay, we're going to start from Britta. <laughs> For a change. <laughs> we'll go this way. Now I have like so many in case. <laughs> <you'll>... <laughs> I don't know what's going really to Okay, go. Give us chapter and verse. Tell us what you got. Okay. Um, <coughs> chapter... So I want to say a couple of things. First of all, thank you. Um, first of all, I just want to point out that eye for an eye and life for a life is not literal at all. Um, 
you know, man. That would be right. No, I just remember learning that in like fourth grade. And I we, think we were all like, what? Right. No, 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 no. Yeah, no, 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 no. The way Rashi says that what we do is we assess the person's value as if they would be sold as a slave. What would their value be diminished if they didn't have whatever it was that going on over here? So in this particular case, the, the beginning of the mitzvah that you brought was, um, was that if two people are fighting, they bang into a pregnant woman, she miscarries. So then the question was, like, how do you assign a value to that, right? So, so Rashi says, what would be the value of this woman, a pregnant woman as a slave versus a not pregnant woman as a slave? Because you'd have, you know, so that's, so there is, there, there, there is this place of, it's not just, oops, I'm sorry. Okay. It's just crazy how specific, like, that it has that <coughs> situation. Because you could figure, because you could, fi- you could see that happening, right? No, I'm just saying it's like, crazy how specific, like, it says, like, if someone's fighting and hits a pregnant, like, I'm saying that's just Well, because you could imagine, two people start fighting and his wife's there, she's like, honey, let's get out of here, let's get out of here. Like, she just somehow gets... Snapped in the middle of the whole yeah. situation, like you could see that totally going down. But it's such a, it's such a specific. Saying, correct, like, correct, correct, correct. That we're going to talk about it. The t- yeah. This parsha is going to be this. This I want to say that this parsha is going to be full of so many such specific situations that it's like, what's going on here? And we're going to talk about that. Okay, Oria, you're next. What made your eyes pop? So, um, Give me chapter and verse. Chapter twenty-two. Okay. Verse fifteen. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> when a man will seduce a virgin who was not married and lie with her, he shall establish the marriage price for her as his wife. If her father refuses to give her to him, he shall weigh out silver according to the marriage price of the maidens. Right. That's nuts. Which part of it is nuts? All of it. <laughs> well, yes, but uh, which part specifically are you talking about? All of it. <laughs> I mean, like reading the whole thing made my eyes like. No, I understand, but I'm I, saying like I didn't whatever I didn't whatever. Didn't hear that one. Didn't see that one coming. Okay, um, and but and, I guess it's like what then? Like, are they legally married to each other after that? Well, they would probably have to still have the stupa written after that. Mm. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Can I ask? Absolutely. How, sorry, this might be regressive, but how come like there's. Like a man literally like, uh, like pays for a woman's sexual status in this context. Isn't that very objectifying in a sense? Listen, in halacha, there are different ways that one acquires a wife, and one of them happens to be with money. And so here's a situation where it's not like, oh, you just get to do whatever you want and then walk away, and somebody else has to pay the price. It means there's, and, and notice again that she gets to say no. There's this place of. You know, I don't want to be involved with this person. And I want to also impose for a second, take away your 2024 headspace. And like, I could just like, I'll go to therapy and I'll go to Boulder and I'll get my own life. Like that isn't happening in this context. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean? Tyra has to speak to us in all times always. But I think for a second, we also do need to put into context to say what happens to this girl in a very specific society if she loses her virginity, and then what happens? What happens to her? That society. So, meaning, so here, Tyra's saying there is a protection right. that's built in. We could say, I don't want to be part of this. Come on, right? We could, we could argue that. And I want to just say, and we're going to talk about it after we get through all our things. But I do want to say that all of these things are literally cliff notes of long, long pages in Gemara 
discussing and dissecting the details. And by the way, for all the people in Gemara, I hope you saw your thing. Yes. Okay, Sydney, give us a, parsh, a, a chapter and a verse. Wait, the, the verse right after. Chapter 22, verse 17. What's a sorceress? You shall permit a sorceress. A machefa is a witch. A witch. You shall, oh, you shall not permit them. Yeah. Okay, that wasn't my thing. I just didn't understand the word. Okay, um, um, yeah, fine, it's my thing. Can't let witches live. Fine. Can't let witches live. Okay, I want to just, I want to, I want to, can't let witches live. That's first of all. Great. I want to point out, I want to point out that when we talk about um, not letting witches live, that means Tyre is acknowledging, Tyre is acknowledging a reality that exists that is not holy. Meaning we're not just saying, oh, it's all slave hand and there's nothing to it. There is a power of the occult and Tyre is saying you're not allowed to go there. You're not allowed to practice it. You're not allowed to go to somebody who practices it, who practices it, who practices it, right? I was like, did I get that word right? Um, so, but, but it's very interesting where, like, again, in our, so we're so sophisticated and all this is baloney and it's not true. No, Terry's saying there really is such a thing and still, even if it works, doesn't make it a good thing for you to go to. Question? Yeah. Um, it's such a great order. Right. Is that, is there... Is so there's there a conversation, so, there, so there's a conversation of can we find an order and by the way, us looking for three seconds and not seeing an order doesn't mean that there is no order. But also there is the, in, in Gemara it talks about can you learn um, lessons from what things are next to each other. And in general we say that the first four books of the Torah, which are most clearly Hashem said and Moshe wrote down, we do not. We cannot learn what's called smichus. You cannot learn juxtaposition from those four books because Hashem's wisdom and it's, it's Hashem's and, and it's that it's like the divine um, coming down. The question is in the fifth book where it says the, the Gemara says that right. said that he it's sort of his words even though we could argue that and the Ramban argues that and whatever. Um, but the but the the language of the fifth book is for sure different. Um, but there for sure we say we could say why is this next to this? There's got to be a reason. So. Is there studies within the stuff that we're saying we're not supposed to find? You know why it is that way for sure, but it's beyond the scope of this class. But the the general thread is that in, in these books we we're not we don't have to assume that we should be able to see the lineup of how that order works. Emma, give us a mitzvah. A mitzvah? Any mitzvah? Or yeah. Just any verse or. or... Yep. Yeah, if you want us to get back to you, we could. If you want to find him, that speaks to you. Because oh. we did that while you were, before you came in. Oh, yeah. Okay, Mira. Chapter 23. Chapter? Chapter 23, verse 5. If you see the donkey. Wait, 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 wait. I didn't get there. Okay. <laughs> There's a donkey. There's a donkey, right? There's a donkey. Okay, <laughs> go. If you, if you see the donkey of someone you hate crouching under its burden, would you refrain from helping him? You shall help repeatedly with him. First of all, it sounds poetic, but poetic, like poetry right. to me. And second of all, it's so hard in life, actually. It's it so sounds hard. not nice in the Torah. Oh, God is so compassionate. He loves donkeys. We should help the donkey, even if our enemy. But actually, when you get to like perform this in life, right. this is hard. Right, so first of all, we're not saying misses are easy. Yep. Anybody who said misses are easy, they're selling you like some Kool-Aid that nope. is not accurate. <laughs> um, but I think that one of the things that's very interesting is, um, and, and, and the tire actually goes into this thing. What happens if you see an animal, if you see your friend and an enemy? 
both have animals that are in trouble. You actually have an obligation to help your enemy first. Okay, and then the question comes up about, right? And Mir is right. It's very hard. It, and, and in the conversation, both of Sar Belachayim, of, of cruelty to animals, and also the, the other part of like, remember it says that Azov Tazov Imo, that the, you should help the person. So if the guy sits on the side, he's like, you have an obligation to reload my donkey, um, and I don't have to do anything. No, no, no. The person isn't, like, we need to work together to help the animal and to help this situation get, get um, you know, get resolved. And, and yeah, and it's, you know, in the conversation, there's a, there, there's a, in like in the Sifrei Muster, they talk about the idea of maver al-midosav, somebody who overcomes their natural inclination to do something. And our natural inclination is to pretend we didn't see, we didn't notice that our enemy is suffering on the side and they're, they're done. part of us like, yes, you know, you deserve that. But, but the place of where can we go past that and say, but uh, my help is needed anyway. And it doesn't say you have to be happy about it. It just says you have to do it. What's very interesting is the Baal Shem Tov talked about this and we know, cause you're like, there's a donkey here, there's a donkey, right? If I tell you chamor, what does that... Material reality. Material reality. We talk about the physical reality, right? Is chamor. So when Hasidus looks at this passage, the Shanto says that if you see that your body is laden under all the mitzvahs and everything it has to do, and, it, and you think that the way to get this body to fall in line is to, is to beat it and to you know, just load more stuff up and make it harder... No, 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 no. Azat Hazavim, work with the body, work. How do we make this something that the, the body and soul together can actually work and flourish in? So it's a, it's, it talks about this body. We hate our physical reality. We want to just be separate. We want to just like have a spiritual reality. We don't have to worry about eating and drinking and being nice to random strangers in the street. Balshan says, no, 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 no. We're not only talking about a donkey and an enemy once upon a time. We're talking about today. What's our relationship with physicality? Do we say, ew, yuck, we hate it all? Or do we say, how do I really feel about this and how do I help my body and soul work together as a team? Because that's a whole different conversation. Because you're right, donkey. <laughs> Peseda. Uh, Zahava, give us a chapter and a verse. Let's do 23.25. As you cross the border. Good. Go. You shall worship Hashem your God, and He shall bless your bread and your waters, and I shall remove illness from your midst. Very That's nice. A good That's a good one. That's a nice one. It's just interesting that it seems like here's a commandment. And then it's almost like, here's what you get for doing it. I don't think that's exactly what it means, but it's like, you shall worship Hashem. And in my head, it's like, therefore, you shall like bless and, and, everything. Right. And, for you. and then we're, we're then in the, then the commentaries are going to go back ended and say, is it a reward for your behavior or is it a prerequisite for you to be able to serve Hashem? Mm-hmm. Right? But to keep worshiping. If I want to be able to serve Hashem, I need certain things. I need my health. I need to have food to eat. I need to. So then there's a whole back and forth conversation. Is it in fact, you do this and then I'm going to do this? Or in order to serve Hashem, Hashem's like, going to help you serve him. And, and then the question is, where does our choice come into it? Like if we step into that space, then Hashem will help us be able to serve him by giving him the things that we need. As opposed to, is, is it just a reward for you doing it? And the jury is out on the answer. 
Go, Malki, give us a chapter and a verse. Chapter 21, verse uh, 15. 2115. Give me a second to catch it. Mm. Okay. One who strikes his father and mother shall, shall surely be put to death. Uh, right. Uh, so we're, we're going to have some of these that are going to mirror the, the Ten Commandments. So, uh, so if you strike your mother or your father, then you will be put to death. One of the very interesting things that go under this, um, under this uh, commandment is um, can a doctor operate on his parents? Because oh, yeah. uh, you're, you're not allowed to strike them. You're not allowed to wound your parents. Um, and there's a whole conversation in, within the sages. Can a doctor take care of his parents. Can, can, can you draw, you know, can you draw blood from your parents? It's not so simple. It's not so simple. Aren't there some doctors who, like, will get a hysteria for that, and then some are like, I'm not going to do that? Listen, the, the conversation <clears throat> becomes relevant if your child happens to be the expert in this field. Right. Then we're not going to say you shouldn't, you shouldn't use the expert because they're your child. And there is, but there is, but it, I, want to, I want to point out that it's a conversation. We're not only talking about like going and punching your parents in the face. I'm not talking about that. That there's more subtle versions of hitting your parent and it's not so simple. Right, you know, I, don't know, I don't know about the ethics of it, you know, of, about, you know, would your emotions be caught up? And, yeah, you know, like psychologically you know. it's a bad idea. But if it's like they're the only doctor that can do this surgery and your parent happens to be this, like... Right, I'm just saying, like, there are definitely extenuating circumstances, but, I, I, it, but it's not so clear-cut. I just want to yeah. point out that it's not so clear-cut. But it's just, like, shook me again with the same thing, like, how there are not many mitzvahs that are punishable by death. Meaning... Like, I mean, that's not true. You know, that's not true. Like, there's a lot in here. There, no, no, it's not true. To actually kill somebody right. for something that they did wrong is very hard. But there are quite a few mitzvahs that it says, and if you do this, you're going to die. Like, it's not so few. Is I disagree it, with you. Is it keeping shop this one? There's a lot of things. Yeah, no, there, but, there's a lot of mitzvahs. But, no, can based and actually kill you is a much harder conversation than does right. the Torah say you should die if you do this. They're not the same thing. Right. But like even with Shabbos, I was thinking, like my, my processing yeah. was that like with Shabbos, it's not like, oh, I didn't know that, I don't know, whatever. Like brushing my hair is, is a milah or something. It's like, if you know and you were warned, only then you should so, oh, no, so, no. So my like, point. So my point is that's true for all mitzvahs. Whenever Torah says, if you do this, you're going to die, it's never so easy. In case, you know, like in case we're all wondering, like, we're going to kill, like, no, it doesn't, it's not so easy to kill anybody for anything in Torah. The question of how severe something is, when Torah says, you're going to die if you do this, that's like, oh, that's a big one. Right, okay. so that's, that's right? the point. Like, right, that's, that's like I didn't point. think it was such, I didn't think it was such a big deal, exactly, but, but I, I, I do want to just correct you and say that there are lots of things that Torah says that you will die, but it's not so actually, it's not actually so easy to kill somebody. Okay, Hadassah, chapter and verse. 2326. 2326. Okay. There shall be no woman who loses her young or is infertile in your land. I shall fill the number of your days. So here we're getting into brachas. We're not getting into mitzvahs. <laughs> These are brachas that Hashem is giving us if we do, right? And again, back to that same conversation. Is it a reward or is it a, or is it a, 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 a prerequisite to being able to serve Hashem, that's, that's a different conversation. Do you want to uh, 
Um, no, I'm happy to take a bracha. Okay. I'm happy to take a bracha. This is good. We can take a bracha. <laughs> okay? And you can see the difference between mm-hmm. somebody who lo- can't hold their children, which is somebody who keeps losing their pregnancies, who miscarries all the time, versus Akara, somebody who is incapable of having children. Those are not the same thing. Okay. Shana. Uh, chapter and verse. Chapter 21, Pasuk. 
and and he said, "Why did you bring it a day early?" And he said, "Oh, because I'm gonna I'm I'm coming in town today because I have a court case in front of you. So I figured I'll bring the stuff a day early." And he recused himself from the case because that was considered a form of bribery. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And he said, and, and the Gemara continues that as he was sitting in the court, he found himself finding arguments that the man could be using to bolster his case. He wasn't on the court. He wasn't the judge. He was just sitting in the court. He wasn't. It wasn't even a bribery in the classical sense. It was just getting a delivery a day earlier. I mean, that these are the days before Amazon. We expect everything to come in a minute, right? But, and even so, even so, he found himself saying, oh, he should use this argument, he should use this argument. So the, the place of, and your point of donors is a very good point. You know, oh, like, yeah. how do we... Yeah, and how friends. Do, like, I, like my, you're for sure a favorite. <laughs> right, and, and right, and I think... You know, I don't, I don't think it's, you know, just like that conversation you guys were having earlier about we love our children because they're our children. It's okay to be nice to our friends. We don't have to not be nice to our friends. I'm going to be especially nasty to you because you're my friend. No. Um, even though, by the way, we, we do that all the time. By the way, just as a riff Margaret tangent on the side, we do that all the time, right? Where we're, we let out our hangry, we let out our frustration on the people who we love the most. And, the, and then the phone rings and it's a random stranger. I'm like, hello, right? We do it all the time, so it's not so far-fetched to say that we shouldn't do it, but yeah, but I think like that place of of understanding the subtle the subtle forms of bribery, and here Tyra's saying it's not saying to say the wrong thing, it's to say the right thing, and still you're not allowed to do it. Wild. Okay. Um, also, I have, can I just see another one? Like, let's see, let's okay. see, what's it? Like, if it doesn't come yeah. up, then say it. Gabrielle. Um, 2133. If a man shall uncover a pit, or if a man shall dig a pit and not cover it, and an ox or donkey fall into it, the owner of the pit shall make a restitution. He shall return money to its owner, and the carcass shall be his. Right. How many people here are in Gemara class? Yeah. And we're talking about all I different forms of shomer. ways that we... Well, you're talking about Shomer, which is also in here, but the Gemara also has a whole conversation about ways that we damage other people. And, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more because Hasidus enlivens it in a great, great way. But here we're talking about what did this person do? They just like dug, like they were just digging, right? Like there's a hole in the ground, but they're responsible for it. Exactly. It's, it's, it's sort of being very passive, very passive about what happened. They like, they made a hole and they weren't careful about covering it. Now there's also, it doesn't actually, it, it's not even talking about if it's in public property. There's a different conversation if it's in public property. Here, it's my field. It's in my field. I dig a hole. You fall in. Right. And what's my responsibility, right? Yeah. Which is, which is, we're going we're gonna to get back to that soon. My question, though, was when it says, like, the carcass shall be his, like, who's is it? Who's the he, right? There's, yeah. too, there's too many pronouns here that I mean. Yeah. <laughs> right. So the person who dug the pit uh-huh. has to pay for the damages that happened and the case that the animal died. So the person who dug the pit gets... The animal. Okay. But it's right. so funny because even in Shomer, we're always talking about how negligence, the category of negligence also includes the category of not thinking through what it what, can be, exactly. what can be damaging to someone else exactly. if I'm not doing something or if I'm Be-do. doing something or whatever. Like, not thinking through the fact that someone might so really step tire, up so, on it. So really Tyra is encouraging us all to be chess players and think five steps ahead. No, not, it's not a question of being stupid. It's a question of 
you know, if they, there's an expression, a chacham reyes hanayla, that a, a smart person see what, sees what the outcome is going to be. Right. And you see what, what are the next five steps, if this happens and that. And yeah, so we don't get to, like, there's a place you don't get to say, oh, I didn't realize. Right? Yeah. When Emma. Comes, when it comes yeah. to showroom, all, all of that, when it comes to, uh, like, being a guardian of something, anything, if you're not negligent, you have to pay. Depends. It depends on what kind of guardian you are. Right. One second. Okay, Emma, chapter and verse. Uh, chapter 22, verse 20. One second, one second. Chapter 22, verse 20. Thou shalt, uh, thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of the shrine. Correct. And the Torah mentioned this many times. That, huh? Embarrassment. Embarrassing them to remind them of their past. There's, there's multiple. I mean, it's it's here, but it's actually written multiple times in the Torah, not to, not to, not to, you know, I guess put salt in the wounds of somebody who's made a difference in their life and changed their path, and we're not allowed to say, oh, how was blah blah blah. Um, and Torah talks about, or talks a lot about, um, um, you know, about somebody who converts. And I want to add my opinion which is not tired, so you don't actually have to accept my opinion at all. But um, I think that that same thing applies to somebody who maybe wasn't always speaking Torah and then decides that they are moving into life of Torah and mitzvahs and it's not okay to say, oh, remember when, blah, blah, blah. Like a person on their own could do whatever they want to do, but it's not our job to... It's, it's not, a, not, not... Not only is it not our job, we don't have the right to say, oh, so what was that like? It's, it's, I think, I, I, to me, I see how they fall very much in the same category. Okay, we got some of the mitzvahs. We clearly missed a lot of them. Um, and I want to go back to the beginning of the Parsha for a little bit. So come back to chapter 21, verse 1. Um, and we're going to start, we're going to start from the beginning. Now, before we start from the beginning, who remembers how we ended the last Parsha? You can look back a page or two. It's not it's like I'm not testing your memory. What happened? Matatayr, we had Ten Commandments. We had Revelation. Remember that? You know, thunder and lightning and all kinds of shows and lights and blah, blah, blah. That was last week. That was like, whoa. That was an awesome experience. Huh? At the very end. Nope. We just have commandments about Mizbeach. Oh, no. About Mizbeach, yeah. That's when... Yeah, but... Yeah, but... We're going to get to the Mishkan. But last week, we finished with like the most awesome um, in the real word, not just like, you know, the 1990s use of the word, awesome experience that the Jewish people and that the world was ever going to experience. Okay? And then this week's Parsha picks up And these are the commandments that you should place in front of them. Now, how many English teachers do we have here? People have written essays. And what do we know? You don't start a sentence with and, and these are the laws that you uh, put in front of them, right? So what does Rashi say? So when it says Ela, it means we're negating what was. It's adding on. And Rashi says, just like the first ones were from Sinai, these are also from Sinai, right? Just like I am the Lord your God, thunder and lightning, overwhelming experience that makes people die. That's from Hashem. Well, you know what? how you treat your neighbors and not digging a pit and all of those things, those are all from Sinai as well. You know, we're going to, this is the first Parsha. This is the first Parsha that we are going to get into laws 
and laws and laws. We've been telling stories the whole way from voracious. We had a couple of mitzvahs sprinkled here and there, but this is the first time we're like, boom, this is what, this is what Judaism looks like. And Judaism doesn't only look like, whoa, it's so awesome. I'm like so high on the experience, right? That was Sinai. But, but, but right away the Torah is telling us, but it has to translate into all the details. It has to tra- translate into the details that we discussed here and the ones that we haven't discussed yet. I'm going to highlight some other stuff. And um, really, to, you know, if you actually, we didn't look at the, the Ten Commandments at all last week, and we're not going to look at it again this week, even though it's at the end of the Parsha. We again have going back up the mountain. We, we're not going to get into that again. We'll wait for Shavuos and talk about the Ten Commandments then. Um, but if you actually look at the Ten Commandments, we know that there's really, there's two tablets. One of them primarily is laws between man and God. And one of them are interpersonal relationships, right? Don't kill, don't steal. On the one hand, and you know, no, have no gods besides me. You know, I think that sometimes we excel in one or the other. We sort of take one, one tablet and like, I'm going to run with this. This is going to be my, Judaism is going to look like, I'm going to, you know, be on fire for God and I'm going to be, you know, Shabbos and all that's going to be one or uh, social justice, which is like basically the other one. And, and, and Hashem's like, no, no, it's fair, comes together. You don't get to say one or the other. And one of the things that the Parshas are telling us, we're going straight from such an experience. We're going straight from Matan Torah. And we're going to slide it straight into digging pits and having servants. And, and what do we do and all this kind of stuff. And, and they are both our service of Hashem. It's not like, that's my religious life and this is my regular life. No, no, no. We're all, all of the stuff, all the pieces have to come together and they have to... In all of our ways, we need to serve Hashem, not just when we're in the shul, not just when we're davening and learning, but how do we serve Hashem when we find money on the street? What do we do? You know, and one of the things that we're going to see as we look into these mishpatim a little bit more is that at first glance, they look like, oh, we got this. But then when you look into them a little bit deeper, we're like, oh, they don't actually 100% make sense. So, um, so, so, that's, so that's one thing that I want to talk about. The other thing I want to... I'm not, I'm not done yet. I'm just trying to... Admit, I actually wrote notes for myself, so I should keep things, <laughs> keep things in order. Okay? Okay, the other thing that I want to talk about... For, oh, so then I want to finish the Rashi for a second. Okay, so then it says, why do we have the, the laws next to the Mizbeach, which we spoke about last week, as Malki pointed out, to tell us that the Sanhedrin sits in the, in the base of Mikdash. That the, the, the main Sanhedrin of 72 people sat in the, the base of Mikdash was a rectangle and there was like a cutout part on one side and they sat in the base of Mikdash but out of the base of Mikdash. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Good. Okay. That's one thing. Now the other thing that it says, Asher Tassim Lufnam, you should place before them. So Hashem says to Moshe, don't say to yourself that I could just teach them the laws once or twice and then I'm going to move on. I'm not going to make myself, uh, I'm not going to bother myself to give them all the meanings and everything. Like a table that is set and prepared for somebody to come and eat. And if you want to know where Rabbi Yosef Cairo got the name for his safer, right here. It has to be, the halachas have to be given to us. 
like a table that it's so clear and so easy. You could see it all. You pick what you want to have. Well, you don't pick Mrs. What you want to do. Let's just say whatever. You know what, let's say you know what you have to do. It should all be so clear to, it should all be so clear to you. Now, we know that in Yiddishkeit, in Judaism, there are three general categories of mitzvahs. We have mishpatim, right, which are civil laws. The, the majority of the Gemara is dealing with the mishpatim, right? It's dealing with civil laws, with boundaries and with fires and with all kinds of stuff, right? Then we have laws which are edus, edut. They're testimonials, nothing we would have thought of on our own, but Hashem tells us to, tells us to do them so they make sense to us, Right? Eating matzah on Pesach. Nobody, I promise you, nobody would come up with eating matzah on Pesach as their, their, their idea of a good time. But Hashem says, eat matzah to remember that you had matzah. It's a testimonial to what happened. Okay, we got it. We're going to do matzah on Pesach. And then we have the chukim, which are mitzvahs that don't make sense. And you have no permission to, to, to wonder about this and to think about them. Um, which of the mitzvahs would it make the most sense for us to say it has to be explained like a shulchan aruch? It has to be set out like a table so you should understand why you have to do it. Not mishpatim. Mishpatim, like we got those. We know that you need to have, you know, you, need, <laughs> you have to, you have to like, you, you, you have to take responsibility for your action and then you can't, you know, what do you do for damage? Well, we would come up with it. Gemara actually says that if a tire wasn't given, we would learn sneeze from a cat and not stealing from an ant. Like, we would look around the world and we would get it. These are things we So why Dafka in these laws do we have to say, explain it so that they understand it? Doesn't actually make sense. We got this one, right? So, uh, so one of the things that, that, um, that Hasidus talks about at great length is... Which is a mirror of which? What is the, is spirituality the main thing and physicality is the mirror? Or is the physical the reality and the spiritual is the, is the mirror? Meaning, are we looking at the world, really it's all spiritual, but it comes down here in this world and so that our actions reflect what's going on up, you know, in spiritual? Or is the spiritual reflecting what's going on over here, right? Um, and to, to, to sort of highlight what Zahava taught us in her class, she brought the medrash of Moshe going to the angels and saying, and they say, what are you doing? What are you doing here, right? What difference does it make who has Torah? What difference, and the Rebbe wants to know, what difference make? There's every single community go around, every single community has a Torah. So why can't the angels have a Torah? And the Jews have a Torah, like, what's the big deal? Why is it such a fight? Who gets the Torah? What difference does it make? Right, and what does Moshe give? What are the examples Moshe gave? Whoever had a bee, do you remember it three days later? What, did, what were the examples? Do you like, have silver for you to steal? Do you have Look at that, look at that, right? Right, so you see, he's coming to say very physical mitzvahs. And Hasidus explains that we could argue, the question isn't who holds it. The question is, what is the point of it? Is the point celestial? Or is the point physical? And Moshe's saying, and the angels are like, we got this. We, we, we're doing, you think they didn't know that they didn't have parents? Of course they knew they didn't have parents. They knew they didn't have silver. They had no jealousy. But they're saying it doesn't matter. The physical doesn't matter. It's spiritual and it's heavenly and we could do it in a heavenly manner. 
Okay, so we don't have the parents. That's that's just a detail. That's a minor that's a minor detail. Moshe's like, no, 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 no. The whole point of Torah is to come down here and to be <laughs> to, to be to be affect how we look at the world and how we look at our parents and how we look at the, the pits that we dig in the ground and what we do with them. That's the main point of everything. That it also reflects spiritually, Sabala. That's great. That's also, you know, we're not, we're not saying no, but where, does, where do we work Torah? Here. Hashem gave us the Torah to say that here we should be able to do Torah. And what is it, what's the difference? Like, what there's like, if it's from heaven down reflecting here or from here reflecting back up. And there talks about the idea that what happens when the world does not support Torah? Well, we need it. If the, Tyra, if the world doesn't support Tyra, and Tyra is a spiritual thing that also is reflected physically, so then we would say the world is not irrefined, and it's not ready for this, and we're going to have to keep refining the world, and then it's going to happen. But if Tyra is first and foremost here in our world, and the world doesn't support Tyra, then we know we're just not getting at it. We're not, coming to it. we're not coming to it the right way. It has to support Taira. Because the spiritual, oh, we'll do it in a spiritual realm, that's the secondary way of looking at Taira in a way, right? That if Taira has to be doable here in this world, and when the world says, you can't, we have to say, yes, we can. Yes, we can. How? We'll figure that out. How do we make this work? How does this happen? Okay, we might have to work it and we have to figure it out. But what is our attitude towards mitzvahs? Can it be done? Or is it like a pipe dream? You know, you know if you will it, it's not a dream. One day we're going to get to it. No. If here, if Torah is given to us here, and that's what, that's what Maisha is saying to the, to the angels, Torah is meant to be here for the people who have silver to steal and the parents to honor or not to hit. And all of those things are supposed to work here. And if it's not working here, then we have a problem. And then we have to figure out how do we make it work here? Because that's what the point of it is. The point isn't for the angels who have no parents to like honor, you know, tap into some level of honoring. No. Yes, but no. First is here. First it comes here to us, to what we have to do over here. Um, She's new, so right. I completely misunderstood. <laughs> I, I thought that the, the angels were asking Moshe this, yeah. and it was like an argument that like Torah is not going to yeah. be applicable for all generations of people because it's like like right, I yeah. wasn't ensla- enslaved in Egypt. Like, how does it apply to me? Just how exactly. or whatever. Like, but <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're doing fine for time. We're doing fine for time. Okay, I just want to see where I want to go here. Okay. Um, this later. Uh, okay, so now one thing that I want to... Okay, so if we take a look for a second, one of the first things that... One of the first mitzvahs that Tyre gives us here is uh, the mitzvah of Evid Ivri, of a, Jewish, of a Jewish slave, okay? In the line of weird stuff. Jewish slaves are pretty high up on the list of weird stuff. What is the... What's the story of a Jewish slave? Somebody who stole who can't pay back. And in Judaism, if you steal, you don't go to jail. You have to pay it back. And there's fees and, and penalties for what you have to pay back. And, um, and, uh, and what happens if somebody's too poor and has nobody who could help them? So then, they, then the basin will sell them as a slave for a max of six years, and they will pay off their debt. Mm-hmm. They will pay off their debt, meaning basin will sell them, 
the, the person that they stole from will get the money and they will work off their debt. Now, owning a Jewish slave is not so simple. The Talmud talks about the idea that, you know, Misha Kana Evid Kana if you buy a slave, you actually get a master for yourself. You're obligated to take care of the person's family, and if you're not allowed to work them, give that you're not allowed to give them embarrassing work, and you're not allowed to give them useless work. And there's a whole pages and pages in the Gemara that talk about it, right? Um, and the end of this this part with the Evid, it talks about what happens after six years. The person doesn't want to leave, and then and then the Torah tells us. The, the Torah has another weird thing over there that if the person is married, one second, if the person is married, then the master can give him a non-Jewish slave to have children with. And what, I don't, I don't know enough. I don't understand that enough to say anything beyond that sounds weird to me. Um, and but the, for the points of our conversation, and then what happens at the end of six years, the person says, oh, "I love this situation and I don't want to leave." So then it tell, the Torah tells us that what do we do? We take this person to the door. And we pierce their ear against the door, um, and then it's that they're their person, they're their slave forever. Now, parenthetically, forever is not forever. Forever is until Yovel. It's the fifty-year cycle, which kind of sounds like forever when you don't have running water and antibiotics. But whatever, <laughs> that's my two cents. Um, a couple of things I want I want to talk about a few things over here. Um, first of all, some of the parsha talk about why do you pierce their ear, and by the way, it's over here. It's this, this kind of piercing up here. Up at this Ew, here. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So they so so the so some of the Mepharshim talk about that it's just a practical thing that um, if a slave is found and they want to know if it's my slave or not, you would basically take him up against the wall and see if it matches. Like are they tall enough to have gotten pierced at that place? So it's just like a practical thing. Rashi says, Rashi says, right? Um uh, Rashi says that um, uh, Rashi says that um, uh, you, you, first of all you, you pierce the right one, and then it says um, blah, 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 I'm just trying to find Rashi that why over here Rashi says that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai says why do you pierce their ear because the ear that heard I am that heard don't steal and you should be you should only be slaves to Hashem and you went and you stole and all this stuff. That ear should get pierced. If you decide you're not going to do that, like, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, thank you. I'm just like, I'm not sure I got all the words out of my mind, mouth. They're in my head. Okay, so I want to stop on this. I want to stop on this for a little bit for, for three things. First of all, uh, one of the, the modern day commentaries, Nedra Srotskin, he's like, these are people who just got out of slavery, Right? Why is the first thing that you're going to tell them, what's the first mitzvah that you're going to give them is not to have slaves? Like, wouldn't you assume that they would be the best people to know not to have slaves? And, um, and one of the things that he says, and it's very interesting because he's like, he's still alive. He's a modern commentator. And he talks about the idea that what we're telling the Jewish people is to break the cycle. That, the, we, you know, we know in psychology that very often you look at people who are, who are abusers and you will find that they were abused as children. And so the, the fear is, in fact, that the people who were slaves, and that is all that they know, that's what they're going to pay forward, and they're going to only know how to be, be, to enslave somebody else. So that what we're telling them is, no, 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 no. You don't have to do that. That's not what you, that's, that you, that you could be the person to, to stop it. So that's, the, that's one thing. The other thing that's very interesting is a lot of the first ask, 
Why would you pierce the person's ear after six years? Because they stole six years ago. And now all of a sudden, now you're piercing their ears? Like, they didn't do this. This is not a new crime. They did it then. And now you're coming back to them and you're saying, oh, you didn't listen to not stealing. And, and, and therefore, you, you should have your, ears pier- your ear pierced. Not your ears pierced, your ear pierced. Um, ears piercing is something we'd like to do. And there's a whole conversation with you can again, but whatever. Um, uh, clearly, the yes is one. Um, so, I lost my train of thought. Uh, uh, so, why do we say, so why now? Why now? So, so Mepharshim talked about the idea that when we heard, thou shalt not steal at Harsinai, nobody said, oh yeah, I, I'm going to go steal. I think it's a great idea, right? Like, that wasn't, and all of us were like, for sure not. We would never. We would never do that, right? But then what happens in real life? Sometimes things happen and it's a slippery slope. It's circumstances. It, it's not so black and white, whatever it is, however you want to, the reasons that we, that a person would end up stealing where their instinctive reaction is like, I would never do that. That is abhorrent. I would never, right? So, so, so they say like, okay, there's a place where you were human and you made a mistake and now you're paying for your mistake. But what happens, what happens when you decide to say, I am that mistake. I like this situation. I don't want to leave. This is who I am and this is what I'm going to do. I want to stay in this place of reparations because that's really what I deserve. Oh, no, 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 no. Now you're buying into a different narrative. Now it's not just I was human, I made a mistake and I'm paying it back. Now you're buying into a reality that you're not a thief. Now, but now you're buying into, now you're buying into the, that, that headspace of I am a thief. No, you're not a thief. You stole, you have to pay back. And now you have to go back to your life. But once you say, I'm going to stay in this position, that's already becoming like, you're sort of buying into a negative narrative about yourself and that we're not going to let you do it. Now we're going to say, we're going to remind you that you said, I heard, not I said, I heard thou shalt not steal. I heard I should only be a slave to Hashem. How do I now say I'm going to be a slave to somebody else? No, 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 no. Now it's payback time, right? So that's like the modern commentators talk about that. And one of the things that's very interesting is um, is that that you know now let's layer Hasidus on top of that for a second, right? Um, where where we struggle, right? Here's a person. This is what I'm supposed to be doing, and and I struggle, and I don't always make the right choices. Whether you talk about being a thief or other things that we've heard at at Sinai that we aren't doing, um, but a person says, "I want to change. I don't want to do this anymore." I want to have a relationship. I love my master, master with a capital M. I love Hashem. I want to only be connected to Hashem. I don't want to have my life and my wife and my everything pulling me. I just want to be, you know, enwrapped in Hashem. I don't want to go back to a regular life. I want to be, I want to stay in Yeshiva for the rest of my life. No, you can't. But uh, I, want to, I want to stay connected to Hashem. So then, then, then we say, okay, now we're going to pierce your ears so that all you could hear, sort of making you, tuning you in to always being able to listen to Hashem. Then instead of saying, the first way is like, you don't want to leave your human master, you want to stay in this life and you want to stay stuck in this reality that's not really who you are. 
So then Hasidus says, no, no, you want to stay connected to your capital M master. I want to stay connected to Hashem. And so therefore, we're going to sort of pierce the covering that doesn't let us hear what Hashem wants, that allows us to always be open to say, to hearing what does Hashem want of me now, and that sort of being able to hold on to that space of, of staying connected to Hashem, of staying connected, and I just thought it was very nice, and like all those layers of the same thing, I thought that was pretty cool. So that was one thing that I wanted to share. Mara tells us, and we didn't, we, um, Gabriel t- touched on it a little bit today about the pit. The Gemara tells us that there are four, uh, the Gemara in Babakama tells us that there are four main things that damage. Arba Abbas Nazikin. There's four things that damage. There's a shore, there's an ox, there's a bar, there's the pit, the hamave, which is, it's a conversation if it's a person or it's an animal damaging like by eating. And the the high heather and the and the other the last one is fire. What happens if I light a fire in my in my thing and it gets out of control? So the so the word talks about the idea that there's four four main categories of damage, um, and um, yeah. So and and I just want to say that if you look around the, if you look at the the Mishnahis and the Gemara, like literally most of it is dealing with this. It's dealing with damages and different levels of, of personal responsibility, things that come up in Mishpatim. The, we have all the shamer where in the Gemara, you guys are starting to, you're grappling with that. But it's many, many, many of the pages over there. Um, but I want to talk for a second about these, because I think it's, it's, it's relevant for us. Um, there are four ways that we damage. Um, so you have the idea of a shore, which is an ox which uh, if we're going to work together and say, what would that be? It's like my animal soul, my aggression, like ox is always like that aggressive part of us. Where am I? How am I relating to somebody else in an ox-like way? Um, so that's, that's one thing. The other thing is a pit where I'm just sort of, like Malika said, maybe I'm not thinking or I'm just being passive. And in that way, I damage somebody else. Um, so tomorrow has lots of conversations about that. Then we have the place of a person, of a person. Uh, what do we do? How do we damage? It could also be, it, the Gemara actually has two opinions. Um, one is an animal eating, right? Your, your goat eats the neighbor's petunias. I don't know if it was goats or neighbors with petunias, but whatever. <laughs> um, right? So, so, that, so that, but also, but also in a lot of the Farsh, we talk about the idea that first of all, the, the, there's a conversation if it's an animal eating or a person doing damage, um, and all. And the last thing is fire, which is things that I start in my own territory, but they get out of my control. And what's my responsibility? Now, it, we're not getting into the halachic components of it because literally people study for years to say what is the finesse of this law and to what degree am I responsible and how do I and what do I? Um, but I want to just zoom in or out, however you want to look at it for a second, and say that one of the things that Torah teaches us is that we are always responsible. There's none of this place of saying, oh, it doesn't matter, it was just an accident. You know, I tell my kids all the time, even if it was an accident, you still have to 
say I'm sorry or you still have to make repairs. And there's basically four ways that we, that we do this. One is when we let our animal soul win and we let it just run rampant. You know, our ox, our, our bull in the china shop, it's just, we're just, I can't. I just can't do it. I, it'll, I'm not in control. That's one. And the other is a place of us, and Tanya's been talking a lot about this in the last day, bunch of days. I'm too lazy to come up with a solution to this problem. I have a pit in the middle of my field or in the Rishasarabin in a public domain, and I'm just passively, by not doing something positive, I'm damaging around me. Um, the place of we as people, how do we make, you know, how do we, what is it that we do? And the other place of fire, like where does our anger get out of control or things that we start in our own domain? I think anger is, to me, is always like a very, when you say fire, that's always like, you know, um, meaning it's different than aggression. Anger and aggression, they're different. Um, and where's the place that I, I started something controlled here and all of a sudden it's out of control and I, I can't, it's beyond me and I can't. And one of the things that Hashem's telling us is that no matter what it is that we want to say, it's too big for me. I can't control it. Um, I was born this way. This is my nature. Whatever excuses we want to give ourselves. And I'm talking to myself more than anybody else in this room. It's not true. We have the ability to control, we have the ability to pull it together, we have the ability to apologize when we do wrong, to make restitution when we need to, um, and, to and, and, and I think it's an empowering thing when we say to ourselves, how do we, how do we make, how do we move forward? How do we go, not, oh, I can't do anything about it, but how do I do, how do I move forward with it? And one of the things that, um, that the, uh, the Gemara says that if you want to be a chassid, and not meaning not necessarily like wearing the clothing, but a chassid means somebody who goes beyond the letter of the law. So it tells us, the Gemara gives three options of what should you learn in order to be a chassid. One is to learn nezikin, which is all these laws of damages. One is to learn the laws of brachas. And one is to learn, the, the, one is to learn pirkei avas. And so the Salaam Rebbe talks about that there are four main things that we that do damage, and each of these are reflected. So that that nizikin, this place of whether it's a place of arrogance, our bar is it depression, mivayer, um, the person is it where we're eating and doing and just sort of sinking into ourselves, or this fire with passion for the wrong things. Um, so if you want to be a chassid, learn how to control those things. That's that's one level of things. If you want to learn uh, the uh, the other the other the other gemara that says you should learn brachas is learning how to be thankful to Hashem, right? Because all of brachas are thanking Hashem for different things, whether you talk about before we eat food or things that we see, where do we make brachas? We thank Hashem, we, we're, we're tuning into Hashem. And the Avas is saying, is learning Pirkei which is actually learning Midas that are working on our Midas. And so how do, we, how do we get to a state that's bigger than ourselves, that place of being a chassid, of being not just, and this is one of the things that's very interesting, Tyre doesn't just demand that we do the right thing. Tyre is, is asking us to be good people. And there are certain things that Tyre asks of us that civil law does not ask of us. It does not, it, we don't have to stop and help somebody else. But Tyre says you do have to stop and help somebody else. You do have to, you can't not pay attention to injustice that's going on around you. You have to be able to be, you know, you have to be able to, the first level is to do the right thing. 
But the next thing that Torah demands of us, and it's worded differently, is either that we should be good people or that we should be holy people. And that's another level. The, the, the demand of Torah, and when we say Mishpatim comes right next to Yisrael, we have, we have a Sarah Sedibris, and we're actually going to have a Sarah, we have a, we have a little bit of Ma'am Torah, Daniel's Parsh as well. And in the middle, we have all these details, details, details. We're like, who cares? Hashem cares. Hashem cares. The way we actually bring down that Sinai experience is that we channel it into our every single day behavior. How, how do I wake up in the morning? How do I face the day? How do I deal with people around me? All of those things are ways that we need to actually channel because if we just leave it as this high experience, it floats away and it, it doesn't make a difference to our life. How do we know if something is real and if something's lasting? If it lasts. It was a real experience if it actually makes a difference to our life. So I want to give us a bracha tonight and tomorrow and Shabbos is Rosh Chodesh Adar. We are, we are moving into a month, into two months actually, of, of joy. Um, and one of the things that the Rebbe spoke about many times is that we know that we have, you know, two months of Adar means that we have 60 days of, 60 days of Simcha. The, I just want to give a shout out. The first time I ever heard that I heard from Sandra Graham, hashtag 60 days of Simcha is like a, as a tag that was when she was in my note. Um, so every time we get a double order, I think, Sandra, um, uh, you know, so 60 days of Simcha. So one of the things that we know about 60, yeah. one of the things we know about 60 is that in kosher, when you kosher something, you need to make sure that there's 60 more of the, what you're, then, the proportion. Thank you. Yeah. The proportion is 60 to 1. Thank you, Malky, for the, for the English. Um, so, uh, so the proportion is 60 to 1. So when we have, we're going into 60 days of simcha, that means anything in our life that is not gets to be nullified over, the, over this time, over the 60-day time period that we, I want to give us a bracha that we pick one thing that we want to have nullified through our behavior, not just through sitting back and hoping it's going to happen, but one thing that we're going to work through these 60 days and say, this is going to be nullified. This thing that's bothering me, this thing that's paining me, this thing that's not kosher is going to get kosher. It's going to get cleansed and it's going to get purified because I'm going to do something over these 60 days that's going to make that happen. I'm going to, I'm going to shower it with good and with joy and it's going to dissolve on its own. So I want to give us a bracha for courage and for honesty be able to look and say, what do I want to tackle? And the courage to step into that space and to understand that all these little ways that we do it are not so little. We may not have you know, death penalties for all of them, but all of those ways that we step up and show up to life in, the, in a positive, healthy, happy way, that's how we actually take Sinai and make it real in our lives. Have an awesome rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you.